This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, welcome to Performance Anxiety. This is your host, Mark, and before we get into too much, I just wanted to thank AKG for sending us their Podcasters Essentials Kit. It comes with a fantastic set of headphones and a Lira mic. So if you've thought about doing your own podcast, this is the best, most economical way to get into it. Speaking of getting into it, Steve Almas was on the cutting edge of punk music in the 1970s with the band Suicide Commandos. And in the 80s, he took a turn towards pop music with the album and band Beat Rodeo. He began releasing true solo albums a short time later. He's got a new solo album coming out called Everywhere You've Been, and it's a lot of fun. It includes two tracks that came to Steve in his sleep. You can check Steve out on Facebook and check out the record on Lonesome Whippoorwill. Check us out on social media at Performance ANX. You can get us a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. Merch with our Mark Dancy designed logo is at performanceanx.threadless.com. And check out all the other great shows on the Pantheon Podcast Network like Highway Hi-Fi, Long May You Young, Feels Like Weezer, and almost 70 other shows. Let's dive right into Steve Almas on Performance Anxiety. Hello, Groovers. Steve Almas here. We're having some performance anxiety. Uh, I'm here. I'm feeling... uh, Actually, I'm not feeling that anxious. But, uh, you know, I'm from the past. Suicide Commandos, Beat Rodeo. I'm here talking about my new album, Everywhere You've Been. Uh, I'm glad you're listening, and I hope you'll check out the album. Thank you very much. I want to thank you for for joining me and uh, talking about the new album and your, the history of of your music because part of this show is to find out how you got to where you are now. So I kind of like to start at the beginning where most things start and find out how you got into music in the first place. Was there a lot of music in the household growing up? Um, what was the first band or, or song that really that you remember? really getting into well it's funny uh we had pause to think about this two days ago because uh i'm of that generation that uh on february 9th of 1964 the beatles came on ed sullivan and the world was one way the day before that and the world was another way the day after yep and i was of that generation where it you know there's a few times in your life where the world completely changes from one way to another. And luckily that was a positive one. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, I was, you know, they got me hook, line and sinker. And from there on out, that was my number one interest, you know, it was like music and groups and all of that. Oh, cool. So-, so that's where, you know, and I mean, I was a little kid, and it took me a few years to, <laughs> you know, get a guitar and stuff. But I started in my early teens. And okay, so was guitar the first love, or were there any other instruments in the mix? I mean, guitar was first love, but I did also play piano and violin. But you know, they they didn't lend themselves uh, to the kind of music I was interested in as yeah. well as, uh, as, uh, the guitar did. Right. You were, you didn't want to be, uh, the next Jerry Lee Lewis. Well, <laughs> now I wouldn't mind, but, uh, how old were you when you started really wanting to, to play with other people and, and getting bands together? I, I got in band. I started playing guitar when I was around 12 and then, you know, had friends up in, in junior high and high school, I like 
had a sort of basement band with some other people in the neighborhood where I went to school in the western suburbs of Minneapolis. Okay. And, uh, you know, and I mean, yeah, we just played whatever cover music we were interested in at the time and stuff. And, uh, but it wasn't really till after high school that, you know, things came together in a way where I could, it wasn't until after high school where I really met people I could learn something from. Ah, uh, okay. And you, so basically at this point, you're just playing covers. You're, you're not really writing your own music yet? or are you? No, in, uh, in junior high school, not writing my own music. No. Okay. At what point did you start writing your own music? How old were you? Well, I, uh, you know, I got out of high school. I went to, I went to university for a year and then I, uh, wasn't feeling like that was for me. And I, uh, I had already made friends with these guys, uh, Chris Osgood and Dave all, mm -hmm. and they invited me to be in a band with them. They were living in this farmhouse out in the Western suburbs, not too far from where my parents' house was. Okay. And, uh, I said, yes. And I mean, they were like two years older than me, which at that age was a lot. Yeah. yeah. And they were really smart people that knew a lot about a lot of things. And, uh, Chris, the guitar player was already writing songs. And it, huh. as, as we, you know, started playing, I mean, our, uh, this was the suicide commandos. Right. Initially, you know, we had to learn four sets of material to go play in bars in Minneapolis, which was, that was what was open to you. So right, yeah. that's what you had to do. Wow. And, uh, but Chris was writing songs it got, and that made me want to write songs. And, you know, I kind of followed his template. Suicide Commandos. <laughs> Suicide Commandos. You guys were really on the, the cutting edge at that point. Well, somebody, somebody made a lovely uh, comment about the band that, you know, we were punk rock when you could own all the punk rock records. Right. Because, 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 because there were so few of them. Wow. I didn't, and I didn't think of it that, that was, there was a, you know, we kind of just fell into that movement because we happened to be doing what we were doing at the same time, you know, Perubu and Cleveland and yeah. the bands in New York were doing what they were doing. And, you know, we started picking up on that and it allowed us to, we started, yeah, we, you know, you'd look in Roxine magazine and see all the stuff going on in New York. We just called up CBGBs and said, can we come and play that? They couldn't believe, you know, <laughs> they couldn't believe somebody from uptown would want to come down and play in that bar. Right. Much less from Minnesota. <laughs> and we drove out there and played there. Wow. And, and picking up on what was going on. That's these little pockets man. that really inspired us to write our own music. And, you know, we just wanted to be a part of it. So what were you listening to at that time? What was really inspiring you to go in when, that direction? When the Suicide Commandos first got together, Dave, the drummer, had been, he had just come back from this trip to England and he brought back, like, uh, Roxy Music albums and John Cale's solo albums. Oh, okay. And, uh, the pub rock bands like uh, Dr. Feelgood and Ducks Deluxe. And that was kind of playing in with a, uh, we, we definitely had the, we had the Lenny K uh, Nuggets record and the, like, you know, of all the sixties garage band stuff. And yeah. we loved that music. And so like in our bar band sets, we were putting all these songs in there, you know, playing Roxy music and sixties garage band covers. Oh, and wow we immediately, you know, other bands first, other musicians started hearing us and digging that we were doing this. And it, you know, it kind of jump started a little bit of a scene there in Minneapolis. And then, oh, yeah. you know, we quickly were slipping in as much of our own material as we could. How did you guys come up with the name suicide commandos? I believe it, it was actually the title of a Aldo Ray movie that Chris uh, or Dave 
It was, a, it was from a movie, yeah. <laughs> That's I've, Now I've got to look that up because I had no idea. So, And in the band, all three of you sang too, right? We all sang, yep. That, um, that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but that seems a bit unusual for, for most bands. Yeah, was, well, there was only three of us, so we all needed to make as much noise as possible, <laughs> which involved singing, yeah. So early on, did the band get a, a good reception when you were playing locally? We did, when we managed to, like get some gigs in Minneapolis. Like I'm, I mean, I already said it, but like some of the other bands around town heard us play and they, these people were really generous and made friends with us, you know, and that really kind of got us going and got us in with the other players in Minneapolis. How soon after the band's formation, were you actually prepared to record the the studio album that you guys put out well i mean we got together in fall of 1975 in may of 1976 we played at cbgb's in august of 1976 we made our first single mm-hmm. you know I, I it was my song on that one was maybe the first song i ever wrote one of the first, <laughs> definitely one of the first songs i ever wrote wow. i mean so that's kind of good like the first song you ever write it gets to be on a record, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, Don't try and tell me how much more you say Cause I've been there It was so, so I was so calm Not scared out of my brain Cause it was marching Go, go What's the I never felt like this before and then we made another 45 there was like a like a year and a half growth period there where we uh we ended up making friends with uh perubu out in cleveland that's awesome and uh they were the ones that hooked us up with uh, mercury record people and got us you know we got that record deal Yeah, through uh, Perubu told the record people about us. So, okay. you know, we recorded that album in the, what sort of fall, winter of 77. It came out in early 78. Okay. So yeah, everything was happening. That band, the whole thing was three years. Yeah. I was looking at that. That's, that's so fast. I mean, it was fast, but at that age, it's not as fast. That's you know? true. Like, <laughs> That's so in true. your late teens, early twenties, a year is a lot more of a chunk of time. So, yeah, I mean, we packed. Yes, we packed a lot into those years. Oh yeah, you also packed a lot into that album. I mean, there's there are a ton of songs on on the uh, studio album and the live album. For two albums, that's quite a big catalog of stuff of music. It was a lot, yeah. We made a, we made a, we managed to make a lot of music, there. and it's some really cool stuff. I mean, I'm, I was going over it again today. I listened to it at work to kind of refamiliarize myself with it, and you know, it sounds like semi smart. That that riff is awesome. Call of the Wild has it's got this like Black Sabbathy riff to it. <laughs> It is so cool. And then the, the guitar solo on I Need a Torch. It's amazing. We 
you know, I mean, yeah, because a lot of, you know, we probably had these in influences like Humble Pie and and Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult and stuff too. Oh, yeah. Was you know other music we would have sort of liked in some way, even if we just thought it was funny, right? But right. It, it crept in there. Yeah, yeah, and it, I'm kind of at a loss for, for words for it because it sounds a lot more varied than some of the other punk music that I've heard at the times. Like I don't well, hear later, you know, like original punk music was not this codified sound. It was a much broader palette. And, you know, that's kind of my punk rock. You know, like the band X when they came out in 1979, yeah. a band I really grew to love in their later music, like when uh, Under the Big Black Sun and those, I, they made some music I really, really liked. Yeah. But when I heard their first album in 1979, I thought it sounded kind of dated. Oh, really? To me. <laughs> that, you know, that, that kind of fast punk sound sounded like a little 1976 to me. In Already, huh? Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, all that means is just where my head was at. Not that there was anything wrong with it or right, right. anything, but you know, things were moving forward quickly then. Yeah. And so after three, not quite, not even quite four years, the suicide commandos broke up. What, what happened? How did that all end? Well, in the big picture, we probably just had sort of, done everything that we were going to do. I really wanted to move to New York. Okay. The other guys in the band did not. Another band came along the suburbs who kind of dethroned us as the most popular <laughs> band in Minneapolis. I was, even though like two of those guys were like my best friends oh. <laughs> since, since like I was a little kid, oh, I no. wasn't thrilled about that either. <laughs> and I, I mean, yeah, for me, it was just this idea of, to, you know, everything's just got to keep moving forward. You got something new, something different, something. Yeah. And yeah, as soon as that didn't seem, yeah, it just sort of got this feeling we had done what we could do. Okay. And it was, and it was time to move on. And so you did take that opportunity to move to New York. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of ended up in part of the no wave scene, the short lived, fast paced no wave scene. There was definitely the, this band, the Crackers that I had, there was definitely, we picked up on a little bit of that post-punk feel for sure. Were you playing in that scene with bands, you know, like, like A-Band and Swans and Theoretical Girls? Well, it's funny. Uh, Swans was a little later, but A-Band, Paul McMahon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I had Warden Tears on the show like a year ago. We played, I mean, yeah, we opened for the Slits. Oh, we played, we played with the Ray Beats. We played, uh, yes, we were playing, you know, playing in those same clubs as Del Byzantine's, Jim Jarmusch's band. Oh, and, yes. And uh, Tier 3, Maxwell's in Hoboken. Oh, yeah. Uh, Haraz. So, yes, I, you know, the being in the suicide commandos was a great calling card for coming to New York. Yeah. And, uh, people were welcoming for us to play. You recorded a, a solo piece. B rodeo was, it was just a solo project first, there right? A, yes. Okay. There was, a, I had done a little, I spent a little spell kind of filling in on rhythm guitar with this band, the bongos. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then it, it just came clear that, you know, I wanted to write and sing and stuff. And the bongos was not going to be the forum to do that. And Richard, the leader of the bongos helped me put together this solo project. Yeah, 
that record is Richard Barone, myself, and Mitch Easter. Right, yes. And uh, yeah, after we did that, I formed a band named after the title of the record. <laughs> that's pretty, I haven't heard it that way very often, so that's pretty neat. <laughs> now, and you, you did that before you ended up moving to North Carolina, right? I never moved to North Carolina. Oh, see, although, yeah, although, you know, I had a very uh, close relationship with M Mitch Easter, who did move from New York back to North Carolina. Okay, okay. So and worked with you know Mitch and Don Dixon and those that North Carolina scene. I did a lot of recording in North Carolina. Okay, yes. okay. So you you spent a lot of time there, but you you didn't actually yeah. live there. No. Okay. All right. So how did the sound go from from punk to no waves to the poppier sound of Beat Rodeo? Well, you know, I, I think there was a point where you started hanging around with Richard Barone. You know, there was a great love of the Beatles and everything around that. And there was kind of this thing of started looking backwards from there, you know, and the kind of formative sound of the Beatles was like rockabilly and yes. uh, rhythm and blues and country. And it was kind of a, you know, organic thing where you just started looking back that, you know, where did the music you love come from? And it came from those sources, you know, yeah. old rock and roll country and rhythm and blues. And that kind of inspired the next step to take the inspiration from those older forms of music. Okay. Okay. And how did, how did the, did the band be rodeo come together how did you find all these guys was it all Richard Perot? it was just a. it was sort of good luck i met the <laughs> guitar player because i knew his girlfriend oh wow and we met and he had this jazz and country background which was really interesting and then he knew other players that he brought in and yeah that original beat rodeo something really great i I learned a lot. That was another meeting, another set of people that I could learn a lot from those players. And, uh, you know, which really inspired the songwriting to go where it could go and stuff was from having these guys that could play the way those guys could play. So Hannah, how long did B rodeo last? That was, uh... I mean, the, uh, the original, the band that was just playing original music, probably, in one form or another, lasted about four years. Okay. And then you ended up deciding to go truly solo again. Instead of doing a solo project and forming a band around it, you, you just went completely solo. Just sort of by default, yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. It sounds getting a little countryer-tinged, folkier-tinged as the bands progress. And that, that, to me, is really fascinating with the, the punk background that, that you start, well, kind of started with the first real band that you had. So I'm, I'm really interested in that progression. What we, what was it? The, common, that the way? common thread was, you know, I mean, I remember Paul McCartney saying this once, you know, it's really hard to write a good, simple rock and roll song because like in one way it's so easy, but you know, then another way, everything's been done a million times. Yeah. And, you know, punk rock showed a lot of us that you could write a really good song without being in the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of idea, I think, is probably, there's a certain straightforwardness or maybe simplicity to the mu all the music that I've done, you know, whether it's mellowed or got more folky or more country or this or that, but there's kind of a just straight ahead thing about it, you know, that there's not a lot of fall to raw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. I was listening to uh, the albums you did with Ali Smith. Those, those were, were those were very. Thank you. They were uh, they were very 
pleasant to make. Um, Allie was my girlfriend at the time, and th those records were kind of these valentines to her to give her a forum to sing and perform. And I really enjoyed them, yes. I enjoyed listening to them because one of my favorite songs ever is Come Softly to Me. And you guys did such a sweet version of that. I thought it was so good. Dum, 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 do be do be do 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 Come softly, 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 dum, do the album isn't the album isn't just like 50s covers and all neither of them are and there's some country tunes and there's some contemporary music like shrunken head it's just a really interesting mix where it was it came together in a very organic and agreeable way the dr the drummer was somebody that Allie had played with and okay. uh the bass player was an old compadre of mine and uh yeah, we had a really nice time making that, and uh, I'm glad you picked up on the Jack Logan too, right? I well, I really liked that song when oh, I heard it, so it was really fun to cover it. I was just I listened to it several times today, just at work because it was it's just such a very it's a great version of it. It's very sweet and it's very nice. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about this because in the late '90s, Suicide Commandos kind of got back together for a gig and. And then I think what is like seven or eight years after that, you got you guys played in front of ten thousand people. Then suddenly, you saw complicated fun gets picked up for a Target commercial. stuff come about that's just insane. oh just some you know some ad man in minnesota that liked the band right you know <laughs> man that's all it was yeah. and you know suicide commandos made we made a new record four years ago i was just about to ask you about that because you guys did kind of reform again in 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 2007 that you actually reformed and then a new album in we never, 16 we never, re, we never reformed we would get together once or twice a year and maybe play a show or something. Okay. But we had this feeling like 2015 or something. You know, we knew the Ramones a little bit and like all the original Ramones died and we were, you know, kind of commiserating about that. And, and then I just like off the top of my head, I said, you know, we should really make a, we're all still here. We should really make another record while we're all still here. And so we kind of put our heads together and did. I love that album. That is such a cool album. Here's okay. So here's what's what I'm trying to figure out because I was listening to it at work and I couldn't see the track listings. So I'm pulling it up right now and I'm trying to remember what the heck song it was where there's sounds like there's a dog barking in the background. Oh, that's my Kendall. favorite that was my favorite check <laughs> i'm gonna go here she is right now the star the star of the record oh, oh so sweet and the, the great thing about it was she was on there because when i was making the demo to send to chris and dave 
I was like just doing it in the kit in the living room here. Yeah. And she just happened to bark in time twice <laughs> on the demo. So we, I like, you know, pulled the bark off the demo and put it on the real, on the real cut. That's awesome. That made me laugh. So I was actually had the headphones, the earbuds on while I'm working and I hear them. I started laughing out loud. People starting to stare at me. So, <laughs> but that record is so good. It doesn't sound like just a punk band. I mean, again, though you got a lot of varied influences coming in and it sounds, it doesn't sound like out over Ramones album would sound like, dated like like you're saying some of it would sound dated immediately even if it's, it's a song they had just written but this doesn't this sounds it kind of made we made the music we would make now you know just yeah. with whatever had happened in all these years you know and yeah that's and it sounds like that it's really cool and if if people the listeners haven't checked it out yet you definitely need to check it out so now you is this your sixth solo album coming out I, yeah, if you, I guess it is my sixth if you don't count the records with Allie. Right, count yeah. the records with Allie, it would be the eighth. Sixth or eighth, yeah. Sixth. <laughs> Somewhere in there. When did you start writing for this? Because there's like a nine-year gap between albums. Yeah, the writing goes much slower now. I uh, make my living as a... Uh, elementary school teacher okay. and so you know i'm not sitting around in my bathrobe during the day <laughs> drinking coffee and waiting for the songs to come like i would like to be right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you know i like write in the summer and i write when i have time off or okay. this and that and yeah i just it took me you know yeah what six years or something to have enough songs that I like to do another one. Not to mention I had, you know, put like six songs into the Suicide Commandos record in between there too. So uh, yeah. that took some of my songwriting. And, uh, <laughs> but yes, I, it, it's a slower, probably more careful process now than it was, you know, when I was younger and they were just popping out all the time. Before we get too deep into it, when did you start teaching? How did you get into education? I had a daughter. My daughter was born in the early nineties and a couple of years after that, it, uh, I had had a friend who was a clothing designer that had, they had the same thing. She had some children and needed to, uh, get a more steady income and yeah. she'd gone into teaching and I kind of followed her path there. That's so, uh, you know, paid for the braces. And yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can empathize with that. I did the same thing. I was a photographer for a decade and then kids came along and I had to get some steady income too. So, yeah, I, I mean, I never stopped, but I had to, you know, I had to get her done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So back to the, the new album, everywhere you've been, is yeah. there something behind that title? Well, you know, the song, it's the, it's the title of the opening song and it's sort of a song to somebody that's more my age that might not be feeling about feeling so great about their life and how, where they're at. And it, yeah. it's sort of a, you know, a way of me saying, you're not just the hard time you're going through right now. You're, you are the summation of your whole life of all these really good things. And yeah, you know, in a way you could say that the music on this record is, you know, made from everything I've learned along the way. And so it, it kind of fits with that. You yeah. know, it's, it's got a little bit of, you know, it's just got a little bit of everything that I do in there. Oh, that makes perfect sense for the title then. that some lyrics came to you in a dream two songs on one 
this one weird ass plane trip. How do, that's, I'm assuming that's not how you normally write your lyrics. It is never how I write my song. <laughs> I was uh, I was going out to Minneapolis to play a gig with the Suicide Commandos. Okay, and I got on the plane and had the weird, which never happens anymore. I had three seats to myself. Oh wow! And I immediately laid down after the plane took off and fell asleep. And I woke up and the lyrics to this song, cigarettes, coffee, and you, I just woke up thinking like cigarettes, coffee, and you, and wow. it just popped out. And I had my iPad and I just wrote out the full set of lyrics. Oh, wow. And I go, God, that was weird. And I, I laid down and I kind of fell asleep again. Okay. And I woke up and there was another one. <laughs> you need to sleep I more cannot often. Make, I, can't, I cannot make you love me. I was like, uh, blah, 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 blah. I just like another just full wow. set of lyrics. It popped. That was the magical plane trip. sets of lyrics and you know took them home and god made songs out of them and that one's one of my favorites on the album it's just it's a really fantastic composition i love that song thank you there are several different styles on this album and one of the the songs that i absolutely love that i think is just a really cool track is the way i treated you because it kind of mixes two of my favorite I guess bands from growing up. It sounds like Marty Robbins meets Simon and Garfunkel. Well, I'm not the person who usually dwells on my last past mistakes. I made a few. And I've always saw myself as one who gives more than he takes. What can you do? When I'm looking back and thinking about the times I may have made a mess of too. Well, my thought, I, I definitely dig where you're getting the Marty Va Robbins vibe because, but I, what I was thinking of, I was trying to write kind of like a Roger Miller style song where, okay. you know, Roger Miller would have these songs where the words kind of tumble over each other. Yes. And I was kind of, it was sort of an exercise to try to do that. Okay. I wanted to, I wanted to have this thing where the lyrics were just kind of spilling out in this way that I think of as Roger Miller doing. But then, you know, when I wrote the song and then cut it and, uh, the guy that plays guitar on that, John Grayboff, he's moved out to Santa Fe, New Mexico. So he was not, uh, he was overdubbing the guitars, you know? Oh, wow. and, I mean, we've played so together so much that I can just give him the, all I said to him was, you know, I'm just like thinking in this kind of Roger Miller vibe with a, with a nylon string guitar, you know, right. Roger Miller always had a, his guitar player was a nylon string guitar guy. Right. But anyway, yeah. that, that's what John came back with. That's it, cool. Yeah. There is a definitely a little, uh, a little Marty Robbins in it. Too. Yeah. And I grew up just completely. I just soaked him up. I loved him. Growing up. So that was a really cool trip. So, so, all right. So you, John Graboff, now he's played with, with Cindy Lauper, Willie Nelson, Ryan Adams, Nord Jones. You've also have, uh, the, the funny thing is I see some of these people and, and sometimes I have no idea how to pronounce your name. So is it Tony, is it Garnier from Bob Dylan's band? Yeah. Okay. Tony Garnier. You know, that's a great, you know, how he, how he happened to get involved in the sessions is, uh, the drummer on the record, TJ Mayani, is my daughter's fiance. Oh, cool. He, you know, he's a pro drummer. He plays with, uh, oh, Jesus, now I'm not, I'm forgetting his name. 
I'll, hopefully I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, Tony plays in TJ's jazz trio. Okay. So, so my, wow. my future son-in-law brought Tony into the project. That's crazy. <laughs> that was a great... And actually, I had met Tony. Tony's from Minneapolis as well. And we had met years ago and kind of talked about that. But oh, cool. uh, so we hadn't met before, but TJ brought him into the project. Yeah. And you've also had uh, Kenny Vaughn, who's play, who plays with Marty Stewart's band. Yeah. Best country band in America right yeah. now, if you ask me. And then you've got some beautiful female vocals on there. Who's now? Who's who are the singers? Because I know that I am not going to be able to pronounce the names correctly. At least one of the names correctly. So who who are the 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 female harmonizers that you've got on the album? Well, there's Daria Grace. That one I can figure she, out. She's um she leads a a great band called Daria Grace and the Pre War Ponies, and they they play like twenties and thirties pop music that they learn from sheet music, you know, not the, not the typical songs that anybody would, they really delve in and play this great, 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 great singer and bass player. Although she doesn't play bass on my record, but she's a great bass player. Okay. And then, um, and Rebecca Sagastad, who she's a Norwegian pop star. I read that. I got to look up her, her music. You know what the thing to look up that's a you wouldn't just get it from her name but she made this record with a Norwegian producer called Thinkerbell. Okay. Like Thinkerbell but Thinkerbell and there's this song called Summer Days. I'm just so in love with that song. Oh cool. I'll but, have to check uh, that out. Yeah, I met uh I met uh, Rebecca through Daria and they came in and just you know, sang most of the harmonies on the record. Beautiful. Such good singers. That was a joy doing those sessions with them. You know, the kind of singers where, <laughs> you oh, know. Like uh, on the three women. It, that's, that's beautiful. She's never gonna love you. No, don't say that it's true. I love the vocals on that. I know you did a lot of this kind of, rem well, I shouldn't say I know. I, I, I wanted to ask if you did a lot of this remotely. Well, there, there's definitely a remote aspect to it, but the, the meat and potatoes of the record the bass and drums and the rhythm guitars and the background vocals with the girls and every, that was all done in Greenpoint, Brooklyn at Eric Amble's okay. Cowboy Technical Services. I did most of my lead vocals at my home studio just because I like to sing alone. Yeah. <laughs> most of them, not all of them. Some of them I did in Brooklyn too. Okay. And uh, then, you know, Kenny played, Kenny Vaughn played, we recorded at my friend's studio in Woodstock when uh, Marty Stewart was opening for Steve Miller in Kingston. Oh, wow. Marty, Marty gave Ke Kenny the afternoon off so he could come and record with me. That's Which awesome. was lovely of him. And, wow. uh, and John Graboff, the pedal steel and a lot of the guitar, he did that out in uh, Santa Fe. Okay. So, but you know, the basic feel stuff was all done together in uh, Brooklyn. Well, the reason I ask is because there is a, the, and, and I'm a guitar nut, so I, I can't play very well, but I love the guitar. The tone on, on the guitar, the guitar, um, that is it an organ in bread and the bone. It's, it's all beautiful. Tonally is, are we guys playing a lot of vintage instruments? Cause it really sounds like, yeah, those are all people. Bread in the bone is Mitch Easter playing the guitars on that. And yeah, so yeah, all the instruments are beautiful old instruments with good amps. All, all of it. Yes. Every guy that plays guitar on there has got really nice, you know, Gibson and Fender guitars with beautiful old amps. It, it sounds like it because you can tell a difference between something that's definitely old in quality over something that's emulating something that's old in quality. And this yeah. has that 
No, no, not emulate. Nothing emulate. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of influence from music of the '50s and '60s in this this uh, album. You know, this looks like 1955. Um, Down by the lake, uh, cigarettes, coffee, you three women. Um, was that's that an my, inspiration? You know, that's my time. Yeah. That's my time of music that I loved, you know? And so it, it just comes out in my music. What, you know? I, what I love is, is the dichotomy between that and then the heavier stuff that you're still writing with Suicide Commandos. It's fa- fascinating to me. I love that stuff. Now, there's also a hidden track. Unless, unless, unless you don't want me to add to, to mention the hidden track and let people no, find no, it. No, no, we, we get to talk about the hidden track. <laughs> we don't want it to be too hidden. <laughs> that's, that's a really cool track. What, now, can you tell me the actual name of it? Yeah, it's called, it's uh, Sarah Lou. Okay. It's for, um, that came about, that's was recorded later than everything came out because of the pandemic. My, my sweetheart is a nurse practitioner. Oh, and, uh, God bless her. and when the pandemic started, I couldn't see her for 12 weeks. Wow. She, she was, you know, on the front line and just didn't feel good about didn't want to, you know, expose anybody to anything. And yeah. I was really missing her. And uh, so I wanted to make something beautiful for her. So I went out in my little home studio and I uh, played guitar and I sang and I played bass to a, you know, rhythm machine. And I sent it down to Mitch Easter and he played drums and guitar and little keyboards oh, cool. and then mixed it. So that that one that hidden track is me and Mitch, and uh, wow. it was just a va- Valentine to my girlfriend Sarah. Yeah, that is wonderful. It's it's a beautiful track. I'm glad it made it on the album. I mean, in a way, I don't know if it fits with the other songs, but that's why I stuck it on as a secret song. (laughs) Well, I like that with so many digital things being really digitally and streaming, you don't get hidden tracks. And that's what I used to love about that happened so often in the 90s. You know, people would hide tracks at the end and then they started to hide them in the beginning where you'd have to hit track one and then rewind the the Oh, I never heard of that. Oh God! I think yeah, Blind Melon did it on one, and I think Nine Inch Nails did it on an album. It's uh, I don't know. People trying too hard to be different. I don't know. <laughs> that one was a little rough because not every CD player would rewind past before track one. That was, oh yeah, that was a pain in the butt. But <laughs> <laughs> well, where can people find the album? How can they pick it up? It's come. It comes out in the beginning of March, right? Yeah, I mean, I the the usual outlets like your iTunes and uh, I'm sure Amazon will have the. I will say the vinyl is a excellent pressing. I was so pleased with the way you know when I got the test pressings and then got a copy of the vinyl version of the record. If, if you're a vinyl person, I can wholeheartedly recommend. Uh, going for that oh but uh i mean those are the places i know off the top of my head i don't i mean the distribution is through this company called border music that was bought by an american company i should just i'm gonna look here and tell you what sure yeah Uh, and while you're looking that up is there a social media presence that people can check out to follow what uh, you're doing i'm a face i'm a facebook guy yeah okay that's a that's really uh yeah the north carolina independent distributor red eye is gonna be uh Red Eye will be distributing the record in the States. Oh, great. So check it out on streaming platforms, Amazon. And I'm, I'm assuming Red Eye, you, you might be able to buy Red it. Red Eye will know them. where to get it. Uh, but yeah, iTunes and Amazon will have it. Those are probably the easiest ones to Excellent. 
find. All right. Well, I've, I've kept you for quite a while, but it's been a blast. Oh, talking thank to you. you. Thank you for your interest. You obviously did your homework and I appreciate <laughs> it. What's it gonna be? No cigarettes, coffee, or you? Now when it comes to cigarettes, I gotta ask you why. They give you cancer, steal your breath, and they'll bleed your wallet dry. They look cool in the 60s. Well, that was long ago. Well, all right, hun, I've chosen one. No cigarettes got to go. Cigarettes, coffee, or you? I've got a quick just two. So, brother, what's it gonna be? No more cigarettes, coffee, or you? Now, coffee boy, there's a horse so the rarest color found. The darkest roast sends me the most when the beans are found. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.